Donald Trump is going to be the Republican Party's nominee for president, and that has many Republicans looking elsewhere for a presidential candidate they can support. But is it too late for a third-party savior? Chris Yance will let you know on this crummy little podcast. For the last few weeks, since the Republican primary was pretty much decided by Donald Trump's win in Indiana, the big question has been, what happens to the never-Trump vote? Established Republican VIPs like Bill Kristol and Mitt Romney have been linked to recruitment efforts for third-party candidates, but they haven't come up with a name yet. But this could all be moot. It might already be too late anyway. And Joining me today is an expert in such things. Chris Yance is a grassroots political consultant and president of Grassroots Strategies. Back in 2012, he was in charge of ballot access for Ron Paul's GOP primary campaign, and he did a pretty good job. Paul was on one of only two candidates to be on the primary ballot in all 50 states. Chris, thanks for coming back to this crummy little podcast. Good to be here. <laughs> You're so jovial. That's um, uh, never been said about me. <laughs> well, it was it was sarcastic. Uh, it was like the bless your heart of jovial comments. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, so Chris, before we get into it, everyone's talking about third party. Uh, there's a lot of Republicans who aren't really satisfied with Trump. There's a lot of Democrats who aren't really satisfied with Clinton. We didn't even really, I didn't really talk about that in the opening. Uh, but how realistic is this? Is this going to happen? No, it's not. There's almost no chance that it will happen. It, the The schedule is just too tight for it to happen at this point. If there was any realistic chance of having a third party, they would have, or an independent run, they would have had to have started a couple months ago. That's the podcast. Good night, everybody. <laughs> now. Uh, the Texas's deadline for getting on the ballot was May 9th. That's passed. Although they, they feel people feel pretty confident based on the stuff I read online that they could push that back with a court challenge. They probably but even then, could, but you're still talking about needing over 79,000 signatures in Texas to be, and that is 79,000 people. A little, actually, almost right at 80,000 people who did not vote in either the Democrat or Republican primary. Oh wow, I didn't yeah. even know it was that. Strange. So, in, so in reality, you need to look at getting all, probably closer to 120, if not doubling the requirement, and getting almost 160,000. Uh, you've got North Carolina's deadline coming up on June 9th. That's almost 90,000 signatures. And, these, and then, I mean, you've, overall, you would need to collect almost 800,000 signatures. You would have to get paid petitioners. With, it, with the schedule being so tight, you're going to be paying a boatload of money. I mean, you're looking at paying, you know, $6, $7 a signature. So you're talking about a mil, millions upon millions of dollars just to, be, just to gather all the signatures, not including any of the costs trying to challenge some of these ballot access laws. Well, that's right, because you're also probably going to have everyone taking a look at your signatures and trying to get as many of them thrown out as possible. Well, exactly. I mean, yeah. in um, in Illinois, where challenging somebody's filing is a sport, uh, it is <laughs> – and it, it truly is. Um, you know, they love they love to challenge petitions in Illinois. Same thing in Pennsylvania. Uh, four years ago, Romney's campaign spent hundreds of thousands of dollars making sure that the Constitution Party candidate did not appear on the ballot, and they were successful in doing so. You know, we're talking about all this logistically. That's downstream of do you have a candidate? There's that whole other thing because you've got you know. Um, Bill Crystal and I actually, while I was at lunch, I saw 
you know, I saw a story on the TV, and of course, only in DC and a bar, which they have CNN on. But it had that Mitt Romney was was looking to recruit a candidate, and they've already had NSAS tell tell them no. So you've got you know the more moderate you know, and especially with Bill Christo, the neoconservative wing of the party who are looking out there, and then you've got another wing of the party, the the right wing of the party, and people like Eric Erickson who are who are looking for somebody, and I don't see there being somebody out there who is going to satisfy both of those people, both of those types of conservatives and and Republicans and be able to actually raise the money necessary to do it. And then on top of that, and this is the really, really challenging thing, if you're trying to put someone up there to prevent Donald Trump from being president, but you also don't want Hillary Clinton to be president, assuming that she finishes off Bernie Sanders, which it looks like she's going to do. so we'll Well, the other question is whether she'll survive the FBI primary. Oh, you don't think the FBI is going to indict her before the before the the uh, the convention, do you? Uh, not likely, but you know, I could see where something happens over the summer and they, a replacement has to be named. Okay. Remember, I'm the uh, one that said well, the last time I was on here that Biden was going to be the nominee. So. Well, I was, you know, that's I've got that on my notes to ask you. I was gonna I was gonna give you a chance to walk that back, uh, but we'll bring it up now. You, you, do you, you want to walk that back? You. Because there's no shame in making a false prediction in this cycle, my friend. Uh, uh, so. Well, believe me, every every pundit, every political expert has been wrong this cycle because all of them said that Trump was going to fizzle out, and he obviously has not. Um, I'm not I'm not ready to fully walk it back because I think it's a small likelihood, but I it's it's a possibility. My goodness, can you imagine a general election campaign with? With Trump versus Biden? Uh, Saturday Night Live would not need to write any skits. They would just have to replay the debates. You just have Lauren Michaels tune in, and it's like, hey, why don't we just watch the news together, all right? That would be something else. I would, I mean, on some level, you weep for the country, but on another level, yes, it would be a few months of really solid entertainment. Oh, it would be very entertaining. The problem is one of them would have to win. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that comes January of next year, and we're, we're sitting there saying, "How did this guy win?" It's like, "Oh, that's right, he was running against that guy." If we're if we're going to uh, talk about wild speculation, though, uh, looking back at this at this this third party boondoggle that everyone loves to talk about this week, you know, I'm looking at the states where you can, you know, you might have a chance to get on the ballot. The one thing I don't I don't get is if you're if you're a Republican who doesn't want Clinton to win. And you don't want Trump to win. And this, by the way, this takes out people who just say, look, one of these is bad news. I'm going to vote for anybody who's running against them. But there's a there's a good swath of people out there who don't want either of those people. You can't really run one ticket and be able to knock both of them out. You know, even if you want to say, okay, well, our strategy, our long-term strategy is get to the House of Representatives and make this a big old civics lesson for everybody. You have to pick off states from both of them, don't you? Because you have to keep both of them under the 270. I don't know how you do that. Right, you have to you know you have to keep them under two seventy. I mean, so you'd have to you'd you know, you'd have a situation where yeah you'd have to find somebody that could win California and tech, you know take a state like Illinois, but also do well in Florida. And I don't see I don't see anybody out there that could do it. Uh, maybe Zombie Reagan, but even then I don't <laughs> see that happening. You know, so you're you're talking about you know finding the candidate that, finding a candidate or candidates 
that can knock can knock these people, you know, knock Hillary and and Trump from getting to 270. Yeah, you put it to the House of Representatives, but then they're still going to, you know, it, yes, it'll be a great civics lesson because then they'll realize that, okay, so we did all this, but the state, you know, each state delegation will vote for president. The Republicans have control of more state delegations than the Democrats, so Donald Trump still gets elected. Well, the other the other side of that is you have the unintended consequence where a, a close state, your home state of Missouri is always close. Um, less, you know, maybe, less so the last few years, but polling has shown this year it might go back to being a, a, a close race. I'll be honest, that was just my excuse to pronounce Missouri properly. Well, it, it, uh, depends, on, it depends on which part of the state <laughs> you're in. <laughs> See, I'd have to get a briefing before I went there, or else I'd be, you know, chased out of the state with, uh, you know, whatever the equivalent of his torches of torches and pitchforks. I think it was Kansas, uh, torches and pitchforks. Uh, but. Some parts of Missouri, yeah, you, it probably would be that way, too, so... <laughs> <laughs> but you'd look at a state, um, oh, you look at a state like Ohio, for instance, or you look at a state like Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania has been the great white whale of the Republican Party for 20 years where, you know, it's it's like Lucy holding the football for Charlie Brown. Same thing with Wisconsin. Every couple of cycles you have the same thing in, in Minnesota. But if you have a ticket that takes from both, you could unintentionally give one of these states to to, to the Republican ticket, to Trump's ticket, and then – all of a sudden, he's over 270 with a bunch of Democratic states. It's just it's the the layers upon layers that you'd have to go through um, after you find a candidate. Which again, nobody who's respectable wants anything to do with this. No, they've they you know they they approached Ben Sass about doing this out of Nebraska, and Sass wisely said no, even though he's in the Never Trump crowd, because it would it would kill his political career. Um, he would become a pariah within within the Republican Party and in, and in the you know especially within the caucus in the Senate. And he has a he has a future in the Republican Party, and he knows it. Yeah, and and then you have some other folks who are are looking. One of the names that they bandied about uh, that I just heard starting this last weekend was Mark Cuban, which is hilarious to me. Um, it's like, well, let's you know get. Got some guy who's a reality show host. Let's get another reality show host up there, right? Uh, who might have a but, you know who may act more insane than Donald Trump, <laughs> right? And and he's uh, well, I'll tell you, you know, a few years ago when everyone just knew him as the owner of the Mavericks, then he would have had a tough time. But everyone kind of sees his mature calculating side on Shark Tank, so maybe he's got a little bit better. But on the other hand, if you're a businessman and you look at this market, you say, this is not something I want to be involved in because it's almost guaranteed you're going to lose. Uh, so why throw in it? As you mentioned, there's going to be so much money you have to throw into it. You're going to have to throw in your own money here. So why bother? Yeah. Initially, just just to do the ballot access part, you're looking at probably close to $8 million. That doesn't include all of the attorney's fees and everything else that you're going to have to spend. And this is one of the this is one of those things that a super PAC cannot help you on. So it, it is all going to have to be done with hard dollars, which means, you know, individuals are going to be limited to the $2,700 that they can give a candidate. So you've spent maybe 10 or 12 minutes breaking this down completely, and it hasn't even taken that long because we've been kind of joking around a lot as you've been doing it. Even even an idiot like me can understand this isn't happening. So, Chris, why do we keep seeing 
more and more news stories about about this app, about a third-party challenger. Well, I, th- I I think it's just that there are a lot of a lot of people who are so firmly never Trump that they're that they're you know they're throwing up the hail mary to see if they can to see if they can uh, get the touchdown, and I just don't see how they can. Uh, I don't know what I'm going to do in November, uh, but you know they have they have taken the position that they absolutely will not ever vote for Donald Trump, and that is you know I think in some ways that's painted them into a corner that they have to do something. Now some of it is legitimate that they you know they truly do despise everything that Donald Trump stands for, and that's a legitimate concern. I can see where they have those issues. Uh, but then you have to just you know you have to figure out is it worse having Donald Trump as president or, or Hillary Clinton or Joe Biden or <laughs> in the strangest of long shots Bernie Sanders. So, well, you know I I don't fault these folks for doing it, and that's this is like anybody who's who's pushing this. Like you said, it's a hail mary, and you know if you're if you're down four and you're on your own forty five yard line, uh, and there's two seconds left on the clock. A Hail Mary may not be the play that is going to work every time, but it's the right play to call. Well, I think uh, though that they're not on the forty-five on their forty-five; they're back at their five. They have, <laughs> they have such a they have such a long road to go. You know, they're gonna they have they're going to have to file a lot of lawsuits to be able to to be able to get on the ballot everywhere. And I don't think you can be a legitimate candidate unless you are on the ballot everywhere. Even in a state that you have no hope of winning, if you're not on the ballot, you're sort of seen as not a serious candidate. You know, that's a good point because I hadn't thought about that. As I'm looking at the, the map, I'm saying, okay, well, if, if I was running this effort, I'd want to be on the ballot here, here, and here because that's my biggest chance to pick up. And here, here, and here because it's my biggest chance to knock. You know, if I'm if I'm coming from the right, I would want to knock Trump off. If I'm coming from the left, to knock Hillary off and, and get her or him out of the win column in a state. But you bring up a good point. It's tough for, you know, Joe Schmo, who's voting in, you know, Cuyahoga County, Ohio, to pull the lever for somebody if that person isn't even on the ballot in California, if they've just conceded the state. And while it's unlikely, I'm not, you know, if I'm running that campaign, I'm not willing to just completely ignore 55 electoral votes. You have to at least try. It's unlikely that you would ever get them, but you would have to try. By not being on the ballot, you're conceding it, and it it doesn't look good. Look at what not being on the ballot did to some of the candidates on the Republican Party four years ago when they couldn't get on the ballot in Virginia. Uh, It, you know, it's after that, and it was it was a story that went, you know, that hit around the country. You know, everybody everybody heard about it. Uh, and it did hurt some of those campaigns. You know, there's some folks who are throwing a Hail Mary. You can kind of see, okay, that's the that's the right play if that's that's what you believe. Now, on the other hand, it seems like those efforts get an outsized amount of media coverage. I mean, are, are you kind of feeling that too? Well, I th- yes, I think so because it's because they're the media is seeing some great division within the Republican Party, and nothing makes them happier than seeing the Republicans in disarray. And 
seeing the last, you know, the the most recent nominee of the Republican Party out there pushing to find somebody to take on the presumptive nominee this time around, it's a good story. And the you know, and, and the media is good, media is going to you know love that story. I mean, you're hearing, you know, there are rumors about uh, somebody, you know, some on the left trying to push an independent run to keep Hillary out, but it's not gaining, you know, it's not getting anywhere near the media attention that the on the Republican side is. You obviously work a lot in real politics and on campaigns on the grassroots level. Sometimes when you read these stories that that people are writing about the process, does it just make you want to go find a brick wall and and just bang your head against it until you're numb? Oh, absolutely. The, the number of times that I've that I've seen a story where they where this reporter, you know, is talking about the process and gets it so incredibly wrong uh infuriates me. Uh, because they, it's not that difficult to understand if you talk to somebody that truly knows the process, and you know it's it's going to be somebody who has had to who has had to deal with this process. Uh, you know, Trump's people, Trump's people, you know, once the primary season got started, kept complaining about um, stealing delegates in in certain states. Louisiana, Colorado were being are the examples that come to mind first and it wasn't that Cruz's people were stealing them they were playing the game better than Trump's people if you don't know the rules of the game you cannot play it well and Trump's people did not know the rules of the game at the very beginning they and when they got beat on things that they should not have been beat on they complained I'm actually a little surprised that you know Trump was able to pull this out in the end, because of uh, the way he was, you know, complaining about the rules of the process. He complained the most about Colorado and that there was no vote in Colorado. Well, 90,000 people participated in the various caucuses and conventions over the month and a half, two months. Colorado has traditionally always had unbound delegates. So when the RNC changed the rules, to, you know, to where delegates were bound if you had any sort of presidential preference poll, to keep their tradition of unbound delegates, back in August, they changed the rules, they changed their party rules to get rid of the presidential preference poll so that they their delegates can remain unbound like they have traditionally. And there's several other states out west that have done that for years, and they, they also changed their rules to accommodate to accommodate these traditions, but the rules were known. Every state had to submit their their delegate selection rules on by September 30th of last year. They're given to all the campaigns, so they they have every way of knowing what the rules of the game are. Some campaigns just decided not to, you know, study those rules. Well, I'm actually going to disagree with you here. I'm not a big fan of Trump, but as I because I, I thought the same thing as I watched that whole thing unfold with Colorado, I'm like, well. You know, now he's just a whiner. Now he's just whining about process. But what I missed was that Trump was fighting the next round of elections. That's what I think when when they did that. I don't think that was an accident that they started complaining. I think they knew they were beat on that game, and the only way they could they could save any face from it was complaining about the process. That was their hail mary. I guess that that was resonant enough with enough people that they that it, I I don't know that it hurt. 
Cruz. I'd have to see some data on it, but my theory is that it probably hurt him in ensuing primaries where people said, oh, well, you know, Ted Cruz, he's just another another politician playing the game. Like, he'll go to a meeting and he'll do some, some mumbo-jumbo and come out of there with all the delegates. Well, Trump's out here winning, you know, winning votes. I don't see where, where Cruz is any better than Trump, and I think that that might have been a resonant message with the folks that went out and supported Trump to send a message to, you know, whoever you want to say they were sending a message to, the political establishment, the political class or whatever. But I, I feel like Trump was just playing a different game. You know? It's possible, but you, you one of the things that one of the things that I noticed is in late March, early April, he he finally hired a delegate expert. Uh, Paul Manafort, who has done, you know, he did, he's done this for decades. He brought Manafort on. And then once Manafort was actually able to start doing some of that work, he started winning, he started winning some of those conventions and, and, and this. Uh, prior to that, he didn't have anybody that truly understood the delegate selection process. And that is, there are two parts to a presidential primary season. The, the primaries and then the delegate selection. And if, if you, and in many cases, the delegate selection might be more important than the primaries themselves. So when Trump, Trump finally decided to start, you know, you know, hiring people that could that could do the you know the delegate selection part of it, he started winning some of those battles, and yes, yeah, some of the it might have helped him. You know, the complaining might have helped him in some of the the primaries. Uh, whether it helped him to get to give the knockout blow, which was Indiana, I'm not sure. You know, again, I'd have to look at the data. Oh, I mean, it was between that or Ted Cruz calling a basketball hoop of. Basketball circle or whatever yeah. it was he called it. Oh yeah, that that doesn't help but in Indiana. Doesn't doesn't fly in Indiana. And I understand he lost delegates in North Carolina because of it too. So I I gave you one chance earlier. I'm going to give you one more chance. You're not walking back. Biden's going to be the Democratic nominee. I I will walk it back to the point of I think it is a small possibility at this point. <laughs> Even if you were incorrect. As I said before, it is a cycle full of wrong predictions, and that's less of a liability with a track record as accomplished as yours. That's that's Chris Younce, president of Grassroots Strategies. Chris, thanks for coming back to this crummy little podcast. It was fun. Thanks for listening to this crummy little podcast. If you want to hear more, check out www.crummylittlepodcast.com. You can also subscribe on iTunes, and don't forget to leave a review. Thanks again. I kind of stumbled over that, and I would like a chance to redo that. Oh, well, good. That'd be funny if this entire exchange made it in. <laughs> <laughs> you have editing the software, app. right? <laughs> <clears throat> All right, take two. <laughs>